Welcome to the Hey Human podcast. Hello and welcome to the Hey Human podcast. I'm Neil Davidson, CEO of Hey Human, the transformative communications agency. For the uninitiated, we specialize in brand, content, social and experiential. We use a focus on behaviors and neuroscience to connect brands with people in new ways. With that in mind, we decided to call this first series Behaviour Changing Ideas. We had the usual agency debate about the best title and fair to say there were some genius suggestions from my esteemed colleagues and one or two that never quite made it. But we settled on this one mainly because not only is it an obvious nod to the core of what we do, but it also reflects the rather curious place that we've found ourselves in of late, the COVID era. If anything was going to insist on changing behaviours, it's this. Imparting that crucial message or defining a brand or an aspect of a brand now sits against a new kind of backdrop, the behavioural challenges that are there for all to see. So, in each episode, I'll be joined by clients old and new to talk through their thinking, their challenges and how they are navigating their way through what is now called, slightly annoyingly, the new normal. So, I'm joined today by Nick Lackworthy. Nick is Head of Innovation, New Markets and Experiences for Guinness in Africa at Diageo. Nick has been involved in Guinness in Africa in a number of roles covering the Guinness brand, content and media. For those of you who don't know, Guinness has long been loved across Africa, although it's slightly different to the pint we know here. Welcome, Nick. Thanks, Neil. Nice to be with you this morning. Lovely intro as well. Pleasure. So... We've got some great questions for you, Nick. Hopefully, they'll take you back into time on a campaign that we both know and love. So the lovely piece of work we're going to talk about today is Guinness Flavor Rooms, a pretty unusual and unspectacular idea, in my humble opinion. So, Nick, <laughs> I don't, well, let's go back to the beginning. What? Go back in time. What was the brief for the campaign at the start? Sure. Look, look, I think as you alluded to up front, Guinness um, in Africa is, well, Africa is hugely important to Guinness. Um, We've been there for over 200 years out of the five breweries in the world for Guinness. Three of them are in Africa and two of them are in Nigeria. So Africa is a massive strategic priority for us, albeit, you know, the market is changing rapidly. There's a whole bunch of new competitors coming in every year. The majority of the population, 75 to 80 percent of the population are under the age of 35, which is pretty incredible. Um, so yeah. you have a really dynamic alcohol market there with a whole you know, new generation um, of drinkers entering the market every year. So, you know, while Guinness has a long and proud legacy in, in Africa, there was a sense that, you know, if you dig under the bonnet of some really strong equity, we were we were at risk of sort of losing relevance with with that younger cohort. So, you know, Guinness yeah. remains and was iconic and um, respected, but but at its worst, potentially a bit monolithic and uninviting, a little bit stationary. Um, where other sort of new brands coming to the market may have been sort of doing so with a bit more energy and vibrancy. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I guess the brief and short was, you know, how do we reappraise Guinness in the minds of these younger sort of legal purchase age to, to 30 year old drinkers um, through an experience by making by making Guinness sort of more energetic and meaningful in their eyes 
Um, so this is very much a brief about, you know, an experience-led reappraisal of, of what Guinness means to those younger consumers. Really interesting brief, and but a challenging brief, I would say. So in terms of the, the behaviour we wanted to focus on, Nick, how would, how would you describe that? I think it was about how do we motivate those younger drinkers to choose Guinness over a default beer choice by giving them a reason to do so. And so despite, you know, a whole bunch of new competitors coming into the to the market in Africa and Nigeria in particular, you know, we viewed it, you know, as, as a world of lager, which is fairly ubiquitous and samey. You know, what what could we what could we communicate about our difference or what makes Guinness distinct to to motivate them to choose Guinness and to, to motivate them to think differently about Guinness? Um, so I guess the behavior the behavior change was about shifting shifting that mindset for these younger drinkers who who, who currently thought just Guinness wasn't for them. It was it was something that um, wasn't appealing or was a bit too challenging to sort of enter into. Um, it was something my you know my brother or sister, older brother or sister, or, or my dad or my uncle drank, but 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 it's probably not for me. So that that was like the the consumption behavior um, was was something we were trying to shift um, ultimately. But then I think there was also this piece around, you know, the prevalence of influencer culture in places like mm-hmm. Nigeria, and um, how do we, how do we, I guess, leverage the the surge of social media activity and engagement across Nigeria. And so this was very much, you know, an experience with with uh, social media and influencer thinking at the heart of it as well, because um, that was, a, I guess, an existing behaviour yeah. that we wanted to sort of um, amplify. Tap into. So lots of challenges and opportunities. So fast forward, what was the idea we got to and the and how did we make it happen? The execution bit, the, the toughest bit sometimes. Yeah. Yeah, so that we we went around the, the traps quite a few times. I think it, it came uh, ultimately to the team uh coming up with the idea of the Guinness flavor rooms, which was essentially about I guess bringing to life the world of Guinness, the flavors of Guinness in a in a completely unique and innovative way, something that wasn't ever before seen in Africa um, and, and brought, brought to life through a multi-sensorial experience. So let's cue the, the Guinness flavor rooms. I, you know, I think our key sort of pieces of inspiration was, and you may have heard of Bumpus and Parr, who specialized mm-hmm. in sensorial experiences around drinks and food. We've worked with them in... Uh, Dublin for the Guinness Storehouse. I worked uh, with them on a previous role when I was in Australia as well. So I think elements of of that sort of provided inspiration for how we might bring the experience to life in a, in a, in a unique way. Um, but essentially, the idea was was you know let's let's deliver a Guinness experience like no other, like no other like no consumers ever seen before in a really vibrant, energetic, and uh, sort of impactful way. So it was really much a lot about experiencing the the liquid as much as as you know telling people about the brand or the liquid is quite yeah. a big shift, isn't it? Yeah, I think the, the key shift was in my mind was when you tend to look at experiences or experiential, it can be a fairly functional conversation from a brand down point of view. You know, you can you can be I'm the Guinness guy and say, you know, I want to have that bar there, have this function there, you know, organize these logistics there. But for this, it was a little bit different in that we said, actually, as a starting point, how do we want consumers to feel? Like that was the first, Mm -hmm. first entry point. And although it sounds obvious, it, 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 it actually then led to the, the ultimate idea and how we brought things to life. It was a bit of a, a bit of a shift 
and that, that helped us push push the idea into sort of a space where we hadn't been before in Africa, where you know it was truly groundbreaking versus just a just another pop up experience at a concert or just another you know Guinness bar at a third space, etc. So so that consumer feeling bit, I guess, then permeated through every touch point of the experience you know how do we want consumers to feel in room a b c etc and that that sort of helped guide us and guide us along that that process brilliant okay so i I think it'd be really interesting to you know sort of move on what could what could possibly go wrong with uh, a multi-sensorial room-based experience set up in one of the world's most vibrant cities so (laughs) maybe give me a sense of some of the challenges and anecdotes in terms of just how we got there well neil you've been to to africa quite a few times and i think you um you yeah there's a lot of a lot of loaded innuendo in your question for sure (laughs) Um, (laughs) um, look i I think i love working in africa because it's it's such a dynamic um dynamic market the teams on the ground there are amazing there's a huge amount of talent there um and as you say it's like you know once you've been to somewhere like lagos um it sort of blows your mind with just the sheer yeah. pace at which, at, at which um things move and you know how vibrant and how exciting everything is but i guess what what couples with that you know dynamism is a sense of uncertainty and i i think no day is ever the same um yeah. you know and i think the key the key initial challenges we faced were were around sort of logistics and physically making it happen. I think at one point, you know, we were talking, it sounded a bit like a Top Gear challenge at one point, you know, we're going to fabricate <laughs> this thing in Southampton and then like ship it to Lagos, Morocco and all this kind of stuff. So it was, um, it was, um, I guess getting over that logistical hurdle was a big one. Um, and, yeah. you know, essentially we were a London-based team, a London-based agency trying to, execute something in Lagos, um, you know, a couple thousand miles away with with not a huge amount of resource on the ground beyond the, the Guinness team there as well. So getting over that logistical challenge, understanding, you know, basic things like we, we couldn't actually import a, you know, structure without incurring a huge amount of import tax. Yeah. And, you know, that quickly became an issue that's not possible. So that was an example of, I guess, a key barrier we faced up front. Um, so we, we eventually had to I guess, work within the confines of what was possible. Um, and that was, you know, utilize an existing structure in Lagos, fabrication, build everything locally with a local team, et cetera. So, so that upfront piece was a bit of a learning as we go bit. But I think, you know, that logistical piece was was a key challenge of this. Yeah, it's, it's they're making it happen bit, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. And I, you know, albeit I just said, you know, putting the consumer at the heart of it through feelings, the first, first bit, you know, actually... Actually, mm. making it happen in in somewhere where that model is remote was was the I guess the initial stumbling block, which we eventually sort of resolved. Um, and then, from a resourcing point of view, it was an interesting challenge because you know the creative team at Hey Human had this fantastic idea, but we were relying heavily on someone else to execute it. Where in an ideal world, you'd have the you know creative team and the production partner there the whole time, um, and that wasn't mm. possible. So. Yeah. So it really relied on us having, you know, a true champion of the idea in Lagos in our team, um, and that was that was through a guy called Henry, who was the brand manager on Guinness at the time, and he, um, you know, he championed it internally. And I think without him and without having someone who believed in the upfront bit and sort of stayed true to the idea as a north star throughout, we wouldn't have had the the results that we we did. Um, and then and then the last bit, you know, was around 
sort of linked to that, staying true to the idea, you know, because it, again, ideas can be lost in translation over distance and time um, and having that close relationship with the Lagos team and having, you know, consistent contact and, and sort of a really supportive structure for that team um, ultimately proved successful and, and worthwhile for the, for the results we achieved. Brilliant. So here we are down the line, won a few awards along the way, looking back with hindsight, any sort of reflections on what we achieved or what we learned along the way? I mean, starting with the good news, it was overarching headline is it was a fantastic success. Um, you know, as you alluded to, we were lucky enough to pick up a few awards for it, which which is always nice. And and then when you look at the um, the peers in in which those those awards were won, you know, it makes us feel really proud that we did. Um, and that was that's a, you know, I guess a nice confirmation of of what we were doing was being innovative and, and was cutting through. Um, and, and then from a, I guess, a KPI point of view, you know, we, we wanted it to be an influencer led uh, campaign. And, you know, we, we achieved almost 75% share of voice uh, in media over the length of that. We were trending in social media in Nigeria through the length of the campaign and, and we had thousands of people experience it, but, but that amplification piece went really well. Um, I do think you know there's always there's always lessons from that. I think you can always amplify things more or or have a bit more thought into I guess how that mm-hmm. below the waterline you know works because I guess in my mind uh, a, a lighthouse experience like this is sort of like the tip of the iceberg, but it's the stuff underneath the water which you which you don't see, consumers don't see, which I think ultimately the most important bit. So I think you could always we can always do better when it comes to that. Yeah, from my point of view, you know working in the Guinness global brand team and being responsible along with my colleagues for a bunch of markets in Africa, we're, we're tasked with I guess, raising the creative bar, like raising the executional standards of, yeah. um, and I think this, this did that and it, it acted as a really tangible and visible benchmark for the rest of our teams in Africa. So after we launched the flavor rooms in Nigeria, we had you know our Kenyan team going. We want to do the same thing in Nairobi, same thing in Accra for our Ghana team, etc. So it sort of it, it sort of set off a nice ripple effect um, across the rest of Africa and, and sort of raised the bar, um, which which I think ultimately, um, from my point of view, is the real mark of success because it, it it sort of marks how we um, how we're going to sort of execute these things across the continent in the future. This is Hey Human. Come see us. HeyHuman.com. So we are now leaving Lagos and heading off to a warm, sunny island in an unspecified location for some desert island questions for you, Nick. So first question, what has been the best lockdown ad for you? I struggle with this a bit because I I thought, I think quite a few of them were, weren't great. Um, there's two. <laughs> You're not the first to say that. <laughs> <laughs> Probably consuming TV media more than normal as well when you're in lockdown. That you realise that the cream certainly does rise to the top. There's a lot below that. Yeah. I think um, there were two that two that sprung to mind. One was for Women's Aid. It was about mm-hmm. um, the fact that domestic abusers are now locked in at home with their families. I thought that was that was really yeah. impactful. It not not there was no no VO or anything. It was just purely sort of imagery of empty streets and empty iconic places um, with with some pretty punchy messaging. And I think that was one that that landed with me as a pretty um, abrupt and sobering message about lockdown. 
And the second one, I don't think it aired here, but someone sent it to me. It was a, an Ikea ad called Stay Home in, uh, I think it was Eastern Spain. But that was that was like a, a bit of a tearjerker for me. I think in, in context for, for lockdown, I had a kid at late uh, late 2019. So um, I think I, I think apparently people tell me when you have a kid, you just cry at the top of the hat. And I think I did that. I did that anyway. It's true. That Even Scots men can cry at that point. Uh, but that was one that sort of just, um, I think, tapped into being at home, new family, new kids, um, you know, a bit of a sobering message around family, etc. So that was... That was another example. Those, those are probably the two two ones that came to mind. Brilliant. Okay, so moving on. This one, you might have many candidates for this. Your challenge might be uh, bringing it down to one or two. But um, <laughs> fill your boots. Worst yeah. lockdown ad for you? Well, I, had, I, I just have a category, um, and that is <laughs> daytime insurance ads. Like, so from life insurance, car insurance, you know, anything really. Um I, I do wonder about them because they, they obviously do work or they obviously pay back from a scientific point of view. Otherwise, I assume they wouldn't be in the same format or be running the way they do. Yep. Look, I think, yeah, in general, just I think that was because of my son's nap time. You know, it was the only time I could watch <laughs> around an hour and a half on that in that slot. And, you know, they just generally have terrible acting and the format is really linear and boring and it's, yeah, really uninspiring. Um, so, so I would I would lump all of those insurance ads into one one bucket of worst lockdown ads. Yeah, so I'm I'm hearing sort of DRTV whilst on paternity leave is is yeah. is the low moment. One hundred percent. Yeah. <laughs> okay. So some memories. I, I had a little bet with myself what you might say, but let's see. So what are your best memories during the coronavirus crisis so far? At least, is what yeah. I'd say. Yeah, as, as I sort of alluded to, I had a had a son at the end of last year, and um, yeah, I was lucky enough at Diageo. We have a, a parental leave policy where you can take up to six months leave paid, um, regardless if you're the primary or secondary caregiver. So, Brilliant. I I was off from February to August um, with my son, and my wife, who's a teacher, was sort of battling that that battle on another front. Um, wow. I think that was clearly clearly my favourite memory, albeit we didn't do, I guess, what we were set out to do. I think in short, I was there to look after my kid and I was able to do that without pressure and, um, you know, I had the space and permission to do that. So that was that was really fantastic. And I, I know speaking to colleagues and, and, you know, people at Hey Human and everyone, it, it's that period from February to August you know, when the, the pandemic was really sort of ramping up, that was, you know, untold levels of strain were sort of experienced in that period. So I was really grateful for that. And then, and then there are two others sort of related to the crying at yeah. any moment point. Um, clapping for the NHS. I think it was, you know, yeah. you know, I, I, I'm someone who's like increasingly like a bitter old person and I, I don't think <laughs> old yet, but uh, it was just, it was just nice to sort of see your community, you know, in what, London can be a bit of a rough and tumble town sometimes and people can be a little bit closed off. So it was just it was just nice to see your neighbours out and again I think there was that was a lot of tear inducing activity. Um mm. I think that's sort of related to I think I I will hopefully remember the good things that came out of this and seeing the best in people. So, you know, the Captain Toms of this world. I think stories yeah. like 
were really uplifting and I guess a, a nice reminder of, of what we can be versus um, versus focusing on the negative things all the time. Uh, I think those are really good ones. I, I, I've almost forgotten about clapping for the NHS. It seems so long ago. Um, mm. But yeah. Nick, let's talk about the future, specifically the future marketing. I'd love to hear a couple of tips for marketers going forward from your point of view. Yeah, sure. I, so I, I think related to your point at the beginning, there's a reality we need to face around the new normal. And, and that means I think we need to be set up as best as possible to work in this sort of virtual remote world and bringing creative to, ideas to life in that context. So can we remote shoot TV ad? Can we come up with another flavor rooms 100% remotely? Is that possible? And I think there's a lot of technological questions behind that um yeah and I, you guys are set up really well and i know from my colleagues um you know who do other work with you, you know shooting a remote tvc has been really successful um yeah but i think i think having that technology in place as an enabler for for getting those creative ideas off the ground is just a reality we need to face and if there are missing missing gaps on that front it's just going to make life a lot harder so i guess for the next six to twelve months I think there's a reality that that's the way it's going to be. Um, so, so ensure that you're you're set up to do so. And then I guess yep. I just had two other bits through the lens of experiences. Mm. Um, I guess once all this mess is over, I think experiences will bounce back with gusto. Yeah. I think people will crave reality, crave sort of real human interaction and and Very experiences. True. And I think that's a huge opportunity for us. Um, and then just just you know, re-asking yourself the question, how do we want consumers to feel at every touch point and every interaction with your brand? That's how we that's how we approach it at Guinness. And it sounds like an obvious thing to do, but it's but again, it's easy to just default into logistics function and, you know, the nuts and bolts of everything without without thinking about that first. So so starting with that consumer feeling I think has been a bit of an unlock for us and, and I would encourage others to to think about that too. The, yeah. the last piece is around that iceberg analogy that I mentioned. Um, mm. For these flavor rooms, you know, 1%, if we're lucky, of the population will actually physically be there. But it's how do you amplify the experience to the mass? How do you figure out the the staff recruitment so they're ambassadors for your brand? How do you tie in commercials? How do you tie in purchase? Because ultimately that below the waterline stuff is the stuff that will allow us to do events like this in the future. Because albeit, you know, experiences can be, you know, nice examples of, I guess, the, you know, trying to bring our brand worlds to life. Ultimately, we have to stand in front of a general manager who says, how much <laughs> more beer did that sell? You know, and yeah. having that commercial sort of below the iceberg bit is is really really important and sometimes you know I've, I've certainly missed it in in my past and i've seen other other experiences where that hasn't hasn't sort of necessarily been in place ultimately as well so while the the beautiful pieces above the above the waterline there's a there's that bit below which um is, is super important um and that's something i try not to forget brilliant nick thank you i mean so for me it's uh let's do some beautiful work make it stick amplify it get on another plane to Lagos sooner rather than later and uh, hopefully jo enjoy some cold Guinness. 100%. You can always enjoy cold Guinness at home, which is always which is always good. 
Yeah, exactly. Every cloud is a silver lining. I look forward to the pubs opening as well. Thank you, Nick. Cheers, Neil. Thanks for having me. And that's it for this episode. Many thanks to Nick Lackworthy from Diageo, and I'm personally looking forward to the next great piece of work from Guinness. If you enjoyed this podcast, do make sure you subscribe from your preferred provider. That means you'll get each new episode automatically. And do make sure you leave a good review too. Until the next one, goodbye. The Hey Human Podcast. Behaviour changing ideas.